The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Well, uh, just this past week, I was uh, hanging out with someone from our church, and we were talking about our kids, and he's a few steps ahead of me, so he was telling me all about how his kids have gone through some sports, and he's giving me advice for when my kids get to sporting age. And he tells me, you know, it's amazing to see your kids thrive and enjoy something, but whatever you do, don't coach them. And I was like, really, you know, taken aback by that. And there's probably differences of opinions. We probably got some coaches uh, either here at Cooper City, people who have coached their kids. But apparently it's a very stressful experience. Dealing with parents isn't the easiest thing. Uh, Every parent believes their kid is the star kid and there can't be 20 star kids on one team. And so the dynamics of that are challenging. So hearing that advice, I've kind of been a little bit sad the rest of the week since I heard that. You know, I'm weighing that one day, I I kind of have this dream one day to be a coach for my sons and, you know, be that guy that gets down on their level. It's the last inning. And I rally the troops around me and I'm like, boys, come on in. And, And I give that impassioned speech, right? We're down one run. This is our moment, okay? These next three outs, you give it all you got. And I get up and then we do like a hands on three, one, two, three, and everybody goes wild and we go out and we win the game. Like I have that in my blood. I I, I want to experience that. Now, that idea of inspiring motivational speeches, that's not an unfamiliar thing. If you like sports or watch sports, maybe you've seen a clip of a locker room at halftime Maybe the football team is down at halftime, things aren't going well, and someone has a camera in the locker room and you see someone, maybe the captain of the team or the quarterback or the coach, get down in the middle and everybody's faces and is pumping everybody up and we see those inspirational moments. And at the end of the game, they win, it's like, wow, it's amazing. And we see those halftime speeches and we're inspired by them, but I wonder how many halftime speeches that are just as impassioned, just as motivating, still result in a loss. We only see the motivational speeches, right, when the team actually ends up winning the game. In other words, it's, it's kind of useless if the end result isn't success. We actually don't even use that video. It's stored away in some back, you know, back room. We don't take that out. Because we understand something about motivation and inspiration. Uh, When it comes to growing, when it comes to accomplishing things, motivation and inspiration, they're important. They're necessary. You can take the most skilled person, but if they're not inspired, that skill will go dormant. That skill will just kind of sit back and do nothing. Inspiration and motivation are important, but they must be coupled with methods. You have to have plays that work. It's not enough to just be inspired to do something. You actually have to know how to go about doing that. I bring that up because we're in a series called Awaken, and we're exploring this concept. What would happen if the church in South Florida woke up to her calling and God used us to fill this city with his presence? What would happen, like we studied last week, just like that woman from Samaria who encountered Jesus as the Messiah and then saw her city as her mission field. And I feel like so many of us can relate to that. Like I'm inspired to do that. I want to be the kind of person 
who reaches my neighbors, that God uses to impact people. I, I want that in my life. But if I'm honest, my inspiration and my motivation doesn't give me any means. Like, how do I do it? What does that look like in my life, in the day-to-day, to see my city as a mission field? to go to my workplace with that mentality? That's the question that we're gonna answer today as we look at Acts chapter eight. I wanna invite you to turn there with me, Acts chapter eight. And while you turn there in Acts eight, I'm gonna fix this rug here so I don't trip on it. It's like a death trap. Hold on. Pastor Josh, we need to have a conversation about this afterwards. Hold on, it's not, one second. I'm sorry, bear with me. Okay, I think we're good. All right, Acts chapter, everybody there? Everybody there at Cooper City, you there? Okay, wonderful. I'm sure they're, they're applauding. Acts chapter 8. We're going to pick it up. We're reading the story of a man named Philip. We're going to pick it up in verse 26. How do we be on mission? What does it look like? Number, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. We'll stop there. Uh, here's what's happening here in this story. As this story is unfolding, we read about this man named Philip. Uh, so that you get some context, Philip was a follower of Jesus that we're introduced to a couple chapters earlier in Acts chapter six. If you wanna kind of make a note, you can go back and read Philip's introduction to us. And the way Philip is described is that he's a man that's full of the Holy Spirit. He's a man of character. Uh, the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit? We as a, a believers in Jesus, we have this understanding of God that he is one God who exists in three distinct persons. He's not three gods, he's one God. And in the identity of God, in the very being of God, there's these three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is given to us as believers in Jesus to indwell us such that we are like temples where God's presence, his spirit fills us. And through this, we're intended to fill the world, fill the earth with the presence of God as spirit indwelt people. Now, the Holy Spirit, sometimes we get confused. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not like goosebumps. The Holy Spirit is a person. In this passage, we're gonna see the Holy Spirit speaks. He's a person. And so what's happening here in the life of, of Philip is he's told by the Spirit. An angel tells him, actually, a messenger from God says, I want you to go south on this road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And while he was there, he goes and he encounters this Ethiopian eunuch. Let's continue on the verses. So as he was returning, seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah, this eunuch, verse 29. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So picture the scene with me. Philip, he goes in obedience to this messenger, this divine messenger that says, I want you to rise and go down this road. Philip ends up going and he sees a court official of the Ethiopians. And we don't know his name. We just know he's a eunuch from Ethiopia. He serves Queen Candace. Candace is not necessarily a name. It's more like a title, like the Caesar. 
Candace, a very wealthy queen, has a treasure. It's this eunuch. And he went to Jerusalem to go and worship at the temple. And this Ethiopian eunuch is on his way back home, and this is where God has called Philip to go. And Philip hears the spirit. This is what it says. The spirit said to him, I want you to go up to him. Join his chariot. Here's the first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. How can we be on mission? How do we turn motivation and inspiration into action? Number one, step one is listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Specifically, the language used here in Acts chapter eight is that the Spirit speaks to Philip, go over and join his chariot. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that, and the question that's on my mind is, okay, what did that look like? Like, was Philip there, and an audible, audible voice boomed, go and join his chariot, Philip. Like, what, what did that sound like? Uh, was it like the kind of situation where Philip has a vision, and he spaces out, and then all of a sudden, someone appears? To, like, what does that mean, the Spirit said to Philip? Now, uh, this is, to an extent, this is trying to deduce, trying to understand what's happening here. But all throughout the book of Acts, this type of language is used. The Spirit said, and God spoke to them. And the Holy Spirit said, and that is also coupled with rare occasions where God will speak audibly. Right at Jesus' baptism, an audible voice is heard from heaven. This is my beloved son from whom I am well pleased. So the pattern in scripture or what's normative in scripture is the spirit, God, speaking to our hearts internally. That's the pattern. That's the primary way. The exception is when the spirit speaks audibly. Can God speak audibly? Sure, he can. In my own personal practice, I've never heard an audible voice of God. I know there are some who have, but the primary way that God speaks to us and the way that God spoke to Philip is this prompting, it's this thought. And so just a couple of notes on how to recognize the voice of the Spirit. This could be a sermon in and of itself, so we're just gonna recap real briefly how to know when is it that the Spirit of God is speaking something to us, cueing us to do something. So first and foremost, it must be aligned with scripture. If I have this thought rush through my, my mind, if there's something that kind of pierces my conscience, something that feels like, hey, this feels like a thought, it's not from my own thought, I feel like there's something to this. Question number one is, does it align with the heart of God as revealed in scripture? I, I can't say, hey, the Holy Spirit told me that after service today, I gotta rob you, you know? No, God does not change. He's made clear what his priorities and his ways are. Right, number one, number one is, does it align with scripture? Number two, the primary way that the spirit speaks to us is through our conscience, through our thought life. He'll place this burden or thought. Sometimes it comes when we're just kind of doing something and a person will be placed on our mind or heart. Where God gives us a certain burden for someone or something. And it's God prompting us, hey, I want you to pray. I want you to reach out. I want you to connect with this person. It's this thought that rushes and it comes with some measure of authority, kind of like I can't really shake it. And so if we're gonna be on mission, number one, we have to be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
So much more can be said about that, but the question that we really should wrestle with is, the Spirit is speaking, the big question is, are we listening? Am I listening? My son Hudson, just recently, we had this experience where uh, we were talking through what our Christmas plans are. And, uh, you know, like all of you, we're trying to think through, I want to get my shopping done in November, right? Get it all knocked out. And our kids are off playing in the same room, but they're in their own world. Like they're full on imagination. It's amazing. They're doing wonderful. So they're in their own world over there playing together. And my wife and I, we're a good distance away. We're having this kind of quiet conversation about Christmas so that the kids don't hear us, right? And so we're talking about uh, what our plans are. And the moment we say gift for Christmas, very softly, Hudson, my son, drops what he's doing, makes a beeline for us and says, what did you say about Christmas? And he has this gift, okay? I call it selective hearing. Uh, it's something that I've passed down to him. Like it's through the generations. I think it's a male thing in general. But anyways, this is something I, I have in my life, right? I can be in my own world and somebody in the room might think it's safe to talk about something, but if it's a topic that piques my interest, I am already there. And we, as believers in Jesus, we need to cultivate something of that type of selective hearing in our walk with God, such that we can be in our daily lives doing our daily tasks, and maybe that's meeting with clients, perhaps that's teaching in your classroom, at home with your children, it's mowing the lot. We need to be able to do our daily tasks with this selective hearing grid, this an awareness that never turns off. God, what are you saying? I'm listening. God, is there something right now you want me to hear? Such that when he speaks, our ears perk up and we're at full attention and we're ready like Philip to rise and to go. We need to cultivate that kind of heart in our walk with God. Look at verse, uh, verses 30 through 33, how the story continues. Philip goes and he joins his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked this Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. Right here in these few verses, the story continues to unfold. God has directed Philip to go and he ends up going. He goes up to this man's chariot and it says he can hear him reading from Isaiah. In that time period, people read out loud. That's just how they read, even in public. So you might be sitting somewhere, imagine like sitting you know, I don't know, we don't have subways, uh, public transportation, or you're in a crowd and just people are reading out loud what's there. This is what he's doing. And this Ethiopian eunuch, likely with this whole entourage, remember, he's a very high official of a very wealthy kingdom over the treasury of the queen. Very important individual. And God, God tells Philip, I want you to go up to this man. I want you to go to this Ethiopian eunuch. And I, I don't know about you, but... I'd like to think maybe Philip is courageous. He looks like he does courageous things, but there's probably some part of him that's a little nervous. 
Hey, go up to this stranger you've never met before. Oh, by the way, he rolls with an entourage. Imagine God, like God saying, hey, the limousine over there with like the prime minister of this nation, go over there and talk to them, right? Like you don't know what their security guards are gonna do, right? And Philip, he just goes. And he hears him reading from Isaiah and he asks him the question, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Great question. He hears what he's reading about and he asks him, do you understand what this is about? And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. If you're taking notes, write this down as number two. How do we, how do we look for and how do we practically reach our city? Number one was listen to the voice of the Spirit. Number two is look for the work of the Holy Spirit. Look for the work of the Holy Spirit. What's happening in this passage is Philip, he sees this man. He's been directed by God to go to this specific spot. He runs across this particular Ethiopian eunuch. He hears him reading from Isaiah 53. I'll make another side note. Check out Isaiah 53 sometime later today. It is perhaps the most explicit description of the life and ministry of Jesus in the Old Testament. Written hundreds of years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem, Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, prophesies about a day when a servant is going to come and do the very thing that Jesus would do. So Philip hears him reading this, and perhaps what gives Philip a little more confidence as he goes is he says, oh, Lord, I see what you're doing. Oh, he's there, huh? Those are the questions he's asking. Hmm. And so Philip joins him. And this man came from Jerusalem. Think about this, he's Ethiopian. And he traveled to Jerusalem by this very road to go and worship at the temple. What this tells us is that this Ethiopian eunuch was a God-fearer. He was a, a Gentile convert to the God of Israel, a worshiper of Yahweh. And so he has come to pay his respects and to worship and to bring offerings to the God of Israel at the temple. But you know what he would have encountered at the temple? He would have encountered barrier after barrier that told him he could only get so close to the presence of God because of who he was. Because he wasn't the high priest, he couldn't go in the Holy of Holies. Because he wasn't a priest, he couldn't even enter the temple. Because he wasn't a Jew, he couldn't enter the, the, by ethnicity, he couldn't enter the inner courts. This eunuch had all sorts of barriers he encountered and now he's asking the question, who is this? Isaiah 53, it's talking about someone and Philip sees it. He sees, oh, okay, God, I see what you're doing in this man's life. Here's why I bring this up. Uh, I think sometimes about this, uh, what happened to me this past week when it comes to sharing our faith. Uh, this past week, I was just hanging out in my house and uh, got a knock at my door and a gentleman who was a door-to-door -door salesman, this happens from time to time in my neighborhood, he, he was talking to me about solar panels. Anybody get the, that same? Okay, a few of you, door-to-door door salesman. Anyway, he's, he's talking to me about solar panels and I'm trying to eat dinner. And, I, I, and I'm like, it's 2021. I didn't know door-to-door -door salesmen were still a thing. And if I could just, I know some people are gifted in it, some people are amazing at it, but that's like the least thing I would ever want to do. And, and if many of us are honest, when we think about telling others about Jesus and being on mission, we think we're kind of like, 
these door-to-door salesmen coming in on cold calls where we're starting from scratch and it's on us to introduce the conversation and it's on us to get this ball rolling. It's like that big boulder in Indiana Jones that weighs 2 million pounds and you've got to get like 10 people to get the ball rolling. That, that's on me. I'm coming in cold. This person has, wants nothing to do with God. This person has nothing. And that's not the way this story plays out. You see, God had been working on the heart of this eunuch far before this encounter with Philip. God had been preparing this man for this moment where he'd meet a guy named Philip on a random road in the wilderness on his way back home. God had been preparing him when someone at some point in Ethiopia told him about the God of Israel and he started reading the Hebrew scriptures about his journey to Jerusalem where he'd go to the temple and he'd want and long for the presence of God but realize I can't access it. And then he's on his way back home puzzled over Isaiah chapter 53 and Philip sees it. He sees how God is working and he joins him in it. See, the Holy Spirit, he's working all around us. Sometimes we have this thought that, man, it's all on me. It's all up to me. I've got to be the one who just kind of like figures out a way to manipulate the conversation to go there. And I've got to go A to Z. And what's so powerful about this story is Philip is clearly not step one on this man's spiritual journey. There's been countless others likely who have gone before him that the Holy Spirit has cued and used to sow seeds of the gospel of the good news in this man's life. And so when we come to people and we hear God prompting us saying, hey, I want you to talk to them. I want you to listen to them. And when God begins to open up this window, be able to see, hey, I see what you're doing. God, I see how they're going through this struggle in their life right now. And they're asking deeper questions about the meaning of their life. Through one lens, we can see someone going through pain and we can say, hey, feel better, I'm here for you. But when we're listening and looking for the work of the Spirit, someone's going through a tough time and they have been placed right in front of you, you might be asking the question, okay, God, what do you have for me right now? God, how do you wanna use me in this person's life right now? In what ways are you working? In what ways is that pain that maybe they're even mad at you that they're walking through that pain In what way is that pain actually showing them that the things they've been looking to and looking for to try and bring them joy in life won't do it, but that you will? We listen, we look for the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is working. The question is, are we looking? Are we looking for the ways that he's working? Number three, look at the next passage of Scripture, verse 34, as it continues. Here's how the story wraps up. The eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they had come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus and he passed through 
pre, uh, when he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The way the story unfolds, he's reading about this servant, Isaiah chapter 53. He's reading about this servant who would be like a sheep led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shears is silent. About the injustice done to this individual. And he asks another question that just shows how much God has already just has this person pegged. And the eunuch asks the question, who is this talking about? Philip is like, I'm glad you asked. <sighs> right? This is like bump, set, here comes the spike. He says, who's this talking? Is, this, is Isaiah talking about himself? Is Isaiah the lamb that's going to be led away and be slaughtered and killed? If you read Isaiah chapter 53, later on in this chapter, and even the chapter 52, it speaks about the same individual saying that this individual, this servant, is going to take the iniquity, the sins of the world on himself, and through his death, dying in the place of sinners, he will be the means of their healing and restoration. Isaiah talks about someone who's going to keep his mouth silent as he's being accused. Hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, Isaiah speaks about one who through his life and his death, he will triumph over his enemies. That his death will be the means of uniting the nations. And this eunuch asks, who is this talking about? And it says, starting from this passage, Philip preached the good news about Jesus. Here's the third, third thing to note, write down, number three, lift up the good news of Jesus. You listen for the voice of the Spirit, you look for the work of the Spirit, and you start there and you lift up the name of Jesus. He started with where he was at, now mind you, we're coming in at the very tail end of this man's spiritual transformation in terms of his salvation, in terms of him coming to faith in Jesus. And so where he was at, like he was ripe. I mean, he was ready to be, I mean, just picked off for Jesus. He, he was there. And Philip is able to say, this is talking about Jesus, the one who in Jerusalem, the city you were just at, was crucified and rose on the third day. And he preached in the good news about Jesus. I love that concept, starting from there. You know, one of the best ways that we can introduce conversations about faith is just by starting where people are at. Starting where people are at. When someone's walking through something, maybe the place to start is just, hey, how can I pray for you? Maybe even before we try and share something, maybe it's just asking questions and listening, starting where they're at. And did you notice in verse 36, the odd way the eunuch asks this question. I want to read verse 36 one more time. Here's how he puts it. It says, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Acts 8, 36, the, the, the eunuch says to Philip, hey, look, there's, there's some water over here. And he's just heard Philip's lesson on Isaiah 53 about how this is talking about Jesus. And he's saying, what prevents me from being baptized? Now, if I've ever heard a loaded question, that's it. Here's an Ethiopian, someone who's a Gentile, 
not a part of the family of Abraham, non-Jewish. And he comes to Jerusalem to worship. And there's provision in the law so that this man can come and offer sacrifices to the God of Israel. But he can only get so close. He would butt up against a wall of, div of division and separation that would communicate to him, you can only get so close to the presence of God. And then Philip tells this man about Jesus, about how Jesus is the one who's gonna unite the nations into one beautiful family, the family of God. And the eunuch says, is there anything that's preventing me from being baptized? Not only is he a Gentile, but he's a eunuch. He's different. He's an outsider. He's from a different nation. And Philip, through his actions, responds, if you believe in Jesus, there is nothing preventing you from being baptized. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how far you messed up, no matter what language you speak, no matter what you have going on in your life right now, no matter whether everything's great or everything's awful, the salvation that's offered through Jesus is available to you. And he goes and is baptized. He's brought up out of the water and we're told that the spirit of God takes Philip up in this Elijah-like moment. And Philip is swept up by God's spirit and he goes on preaching the gospel to some other people. This story shows us how regular, normal people empowered by the Holy Spirit can be used by God to be on mission. Let me just get real practical for a moment as we get close to wrapping up our time, just to be very pragmatic, uh, just even processing some of the ways in my own life I've been trying, I feel like for the past few years, trying to grow in this area. Full transparency, this is not an area where I feel like spiritually speaking, I'm all that strong in. It's one of those areas where I feel like God is constantly saying, all right, son, we've gotta grow. Let's get to work here in this area of your life. So just some pragmatic tools, not as someone who has it all figured out and has done it excellently, but just some things that have been helpful to me to implement if we wanna be people who listen for the voice of the Spirit and people who look for the work of the Spirit so that we might lift up the name of Jesus. A couple of simple tools. Number one, identify the things in your life that distract you from the people around you. What are the things in your life that get your attention off of the people made in the image of God, the people for whom Jesus died, the people Jesus bled for and loves. What are the things in your life that sweep up and suck in all your attention such that you are not present to the people around you? And we need to kind of just have some healthy relationships with things like technology, with Things like speed, one of the other practical pieces of advice I give to you from a critique that was offered to me one time, someone said to me, I don't even know if they meant it as a, as a constructive criticism, I took it as one, someone said to me, Justin, you walk really fast. And I was like, oh, um, hey, hold that thought, I've gotta go somewhere, I'll come back, but no. Um, and, and they were just saying, hey, you feel like, you're, are you in a rush, are you okay? And I didn't even realize it. But here's the thing, if we're constantly in a hurry and if we're walking fast 
through every room we go in, just trying to shut our world, you know, there's value in getting alone time. Solitude is beautiful. We need time, me and Jesus. That's amazing. We need it. But we also need to be present to the people that God has placed right in front of us. And maybe one practical takeaway is identify those things that get you distracted and your attention off of what God is doing in the room. Develop that listening posture. Okay, I walk into a room. All right, God, what do you have for me in this place? God, you're here with me. The earth is full of your presence. You're here. I believe you want to use me. Framing your day that way. Imagine starting your day with that practice of saying in prayer, God, today I believe you're speaking and I believe you're working in the lives of the people all around me all the time. Would you help me to see? Would you help me to hear? What if we came at our days with that posture, believing and expecting God wanted to speak through us? What if we walked slowly through rooms, pausing and stopping, seeing how Jesus might have a conversation for us appointed? But if we're in a rush and we're caught up in something else, how many times do we miss it? We miss the opportunity. We miss the incredible honor and the adventure of our faith, of seeing God work to transform lives. Uh, Just this past week, uh, earlier in the week, I was at Starbucks. It was a particularly crazy morning in our home. And so uh, after I dropped off my son, I just went to, to Starbucks to try and just get some quiet space. I sat outside. It was one of those nice weather mornings we had. And uh, I'm sitting out there. I've got my Bible out, hot cup of coffee, and uh, it was, it's beautiful, amazing. So I start reading, and as I'm reading, a gentleman walks out, and he looks, uh, he looks like he's, I don't know, just kind of pacing around. And I, I see this gentleman, and I can tell by looking at him, he's got either some sort of physical disability or he's been in some sort of accident, uh, but he's fully capable, fully engaged, and, and he's just kind of looking around. And my instinct was, okay, I hope this guy just leaves. <laughs> you know, like, I'm trying to, you know, spend time with God, okay? And uh, then I, I just, again, it's not audible. It's not like a booming voice from heaven, I just felt this prompting, talk to him. So I say, hey man, what's your name? And we talk, his name's Corey. And he begins telling me about his story, about what's happened to him, the accident he's been through that changed his life, the medical bills he can't afford to pay for the rest of his life, this whole, this whole story. And he asked me, what are you reading? And I, I said, oh, I'm reading the Bible. And uh, we have this exchange and conversation. And uh, I get to the point where, you know, we had been talking for several minutes now, and uh, he's an interesting guy. I'm trying to just listen, see what God is doing. And I could tell he's about to leave. He's kind of just kind of pacing and getting ready to go. So I just kind of seize the moment. I say, hey, listen, uh, I'm a part of a church, City Rev Church. We have campuses in Pembroke Pines, Cooper City. If you're ever free on a Sunday, would love for you to come. And he looked at me, and he was quiet for several seconds, and he was thinking, I could tell he was thinking. And he said to me, yeah, probably not. <laughs> and, he, and he walked away. It was great meeting you, though, right? And he walked away. I love that story. <laughs> I actually do love that story, because it's real. 
I love that story because I could tell you some other stories where it's like, and then they started weeping and God changed their life right then and there and everything was different. And okay, and if you only met them now, they're not the same. Okay, we could go, we, I could share those stories too, but I love that story from this week because here's what I know. I'm not the only Christian in South Florida. I'm not the only Christian that goes to that Starbucks. Apparently he goes every, every day. And I recognize it's not my job to be the closer that seals the deal every time I interact with someone or the starter as though this person has never had any like God moment where they're, he's already preparing them. It's all on me. It's up to me. No, no, no. With freedom because I've experienced new life in Jesus. I can see God open a door and just, hey, well, you're, you're welcome to come anytime anyways. And my hope and my prayer is that Two days from now, three days from now, someone else who loves Jesus will interact with this man who's kind of wandering around and just ask him about his life and have another opportunity as a believer in Jesus to show the love of Jesus just by listening, by assigning value to someone that maybe others would just kind of try and brush off. You see, what would happen in South Florida, what would happen in our city if Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit if we as believers in Jesus, who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, listen for his voice, look for his work, and we start lifting up the name of Jesus. What would happen when our Starbuckses and the restaurants we go to and our doctor's offices and workplaces and schools and neighborhoods were dotted with people that were just willing to take their, their lenses off of, of the world, take all of the distractions away, listen for the voice of God, and when that moment and opportunity comes, step in and join what God is already doing. What might happen in our city? You know, for that gentleman, one time, someone telling this person about church or trying to have a spiritual conversation with them. That's one conversation, but what would happen if that same person had four of those conversations in a month? God might be trying to get somebody's attention and using his people to do it. What I wanna do is I wanna, just to close, I wanna show you a real life example of that, what that can look like from some ordinary people that are part of our church family that are attentive to the Holy Spirit, that want to be used by the Spirit, I want you to see their story of how God is using them. We didn't know anything about the healthcare business. I mean, my wife was a nurse, but we, we all sat down together and we're like, okay, let's name our company Trinity Home Health. And, you know, we went out marketing, and this was a funny story. One doctor's like, this is never going to work. He's like, you can't put this on your pamphlet. And it, you can't be like you're Christian because this is never gonna work. And we all got together and we all told the doctor that, you know, this is what we're about. And you know, it's going, you know, God's gonna give us favor. The only one we service is a pregnant patient. My wife worked at a hospital for many years taking care of the pregnant patient. So that's how we had the knowledge. And um, what we do is we, we service high risk pregnant patients. And essentially what we try to do is take them out of the hospital setting to the home setting. If our company, Trinity Home Health, did not exist, the impact on this high-risk population would be very significant. 
Number one, most of these women come on with a sense of guilt because all they relate their pregnancy to is being sick and upset and annoyed and even wanting to terminate. And that sense of guilt takes over and it affects them. It, it makes them feel terrible. It makes them feel worthless. And, and, I, and I speak to these women and I tell them, listen, I understand you look around you and you see all these beautiful women pregnant and they're so happy and oh, I'm so happy pregnant and this is the best thing that happened to me. And then you're laying down in your bed crying because you feel guilty that you don't want to be pregnant because you're so sick because this is the only thing you've ever experienced. A lot of these patients already have kids, so they're dealing with this, trying to have their kids get dressed for school, get, you know, they can't drive picked up. They can't they're miserable in bed. And this lady was just sobbing. She's like, I can't keep my baby anymore. I want to have an abortion. And she just prayed with her and prayed with her. And the lady just broke down. And all of a sudden, she was calm. And it was just unbelievable, the power of prayer and how the Holy Spirit took over. She calmed down. And the, the best, the, my favorite part is, I get, yes, I get to see that part, but my favorite part is three months down the line. She's like, look, what you did for me, I want to do it for someone else. She's like, if someone can't afford to come on service, I want to be able to donate financially for someone who doesn't have the insurance. And a lot of times, what well, my wife's like, look, if they don't have insurance, a lot of times we'll, we'll, we'll work something out with them where they'll come on service. But the, the most interesting part was she wanted to pay it forward, which I thought was in incredible for, for this particular patient. How do I put my faith into the way that I practice my nursing? I just feel that God, God speaks through me it's not me, it's it's 100% the Holy Spirit. And, the, and they will come on and tell you, how soon do you think I can get better? If I'm not better by the end of the week, I think I have to terminate my pregnancy. We're again in a position where we're able to say, hey, God created this baby with a purpose. He knew you were gonna be in this situation. You cannot terminate this pregnancy because this God has great plans for this baby. God knows how many hairs are on this baby's head. It's very stressful, but God is so gracious and so incredible that in all of these years, um, we've had such incredible success. Use the leverage have a, as a business owner that you can be a blessing to someone. For example, I can't tell you how many people come on service without insurance and they're crying and they're miserable. And I'm like, Diana, just tell them they're good. Don't worry, they can come on service. And I go, tell them we're a Christian organization. Let them know that God's putting favor on them right now for whatever reason, and they're good. Because it's something you can do so little, and it's so huge for other people. I love that story because of how real it is. Yeah, can we just celebrate that? And I love what Diana shared. She said, it's the Holy Spirit working through me. He's the one guiding, he's the one directing. And God is using that. And there are days when it's hard and you don't see it. You don't see the work. It's frustrating, you wonder, God, where are you in this? But what we believe about God, what we believe about the Holy Spirit is that he's always working. Even when we can't see, even when we can't comprehend, he's working, he's moving and stirring hearts and lives. And so. Our prayer is that today you've, you've been motivated, inspired, yes, but now you, you're gonna go with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you're gonna go listening for His voice, looking for how He's working in the small things and in the big things all around you. 
and being willing to just take a small step in, a courageous step in, ask, hey, how can I pray for you? Hey, what's going on? How's your family? Listen to be attentive to how God might wanna use you. And you'll be amazed to see how God opens up a door. And you might be the one that sows a seed that helps plow the field or by God's grace, perhaps reap the harvest and see that person's life changed right before your very eyes. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna close in prayer. But here's the thing, there are some of us that we need to relate to Philip. We need to relate to this person who was obedient to the spirit and empowered by the spirit. But there's others of us that where we're at in the story is we're just like the Ethiopian eunuch. We're the person on the outside. And perhaps God has been working in your life leading up to this very moment. And this is your reading aloud, Isaiah chapter 53 in the chariot. And today is the day you hear the good news of Jesus, that there's a God who loves you, who sent his son to rescue you, a son who loves you so much he gave his life so that you might find life in him. And if you want to put your trust in Jesus, you can receive his grace and forgiveness right now. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray together. If that's you, if you wanna put your trust in Jesus for the first time, you can confess that right now to Jesus in your heart. You can say in your heart, Jesus, today I believe. Jesus, today I trust in you. You're the one who, like a sheep, was led to the slaughter. You're the one who took my sin and my guilt and you paid the price for it. I believe you rose up from death and I wanna follow you with my life. And then Lord, I just pray for each of us in this room as we get ready for whatever our Monday looks like, whether it's at home with our children, in a corporate office, in a classroom, wherever it is, whatever you have for us, Lord, help us to go into those spaces with the presence of Christ before us, recognizing spirit, you wanna speak, you wanna work, and we wanna join you. Send us out, not just our church, but churches across our city proclaiming the same message, use us. So we pray now, Lord Jesus, would you come? In your name we pray, amen. Hey, let's stand up, let's close and sing and celebrate. Let's invite the spirit to come, fill us and give us hope. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.